Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FH&P Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at fhplawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome to another edition of FH&P Lawyers Law Talk, where we talk about matters that uh, relate to the law, and we often have guests in. Usually, my host is Tanvir. Tanvir, unfortunately, got called away on a deal that's closing, so it's just me uh, today, but I have a really special guest, and uh, today we've got Rocky Tates. He's a financial planner, and uh, so we're going to talk about uh, what he does and how it relates to the law. Welcome, Rocky. Well, thank you very much, Clay. It's been a pleasure to be here today. I I know you're a financial planner, and uh, full disclosure, uh, you know, it's not something that that I do a lot of. In my area of practice is working with financial planners, and I, you know, I think that financial planners usually work with lawyers in the context of estate planning, which really isn't something that that I do. Hopefully, you can spoon-feed me a little bit through this and tell us what you do. So, Rocky, I understand that you work for a firm called DeThomas Wealth Management. Is that right? Yeah, DeThomas Wealth Management is our dealer. It's who we've hired to do our investments through, and uh, they are independent, so we have access to all the investment firms in that regard. We also work with a company called um, Financial Horizons, who is our insurance MGA, and we do all our insurance business and insurance through them. One of the things that that I'm always interested in is, are you limited in in the type of investment products that you can sell? Like, I guess the answer would be um, yes and no. Our sandbox is pretty big. So when it comes to the investment types, I guess that we have available would be mutual funds and ETFs and index funds, professionally managed investments, segregated funds, GICs, uh, GDAs, GIOs, HI, high savings accounts. We do have all access to those things. The one thing that I'd be limited on personally, just because I didn't personally get the licensing for it, nor did I want to, and that would be individual stock investing. So uh, you'd have to have a specific license for that. And it's something we don't necessarily recommend for most people just because it can be quite volatile, right? So it's more on the professional managed investments that we deal with. So tell me about the interaction then of financial advisors and lawyers. And again, I'm just, this isn't my area here, but what I'm told by my partners that do estate planning is there's a lot of interaction between you and them. Well, I guess when it comes to um, estate planning side of things, obviously we can't give legal advice. We're just the financial guys. So uh, and even the tax accounting stuff, there's kind of a, a tribunal uh, there that people needed on that side, the experts in the legal side and the lawyers and the will creation and making sure that lines up with beneficiaries on the investment side. And then, of course, the accountant for taxes as well, too. So uh, oftentimes lawyers contact me for information on the client's accounts or uh, same thing with the tax accounts as well. So we just have a have to have an open relationship there. And of course, we need disclosure and authorization from the clients to share that information. But oftentimes, it's all for their good. What is your understanding of what an estate planning is or an estate plan? And what is your role in that? Yeah, so I guess from the financial advisor shoes and the other side of things, my main role would be to make sure that families have assets <laughs> to pass on to their estate. So in retirement, uh, you may have a good long life. People are living longer these days and you can get to 85 and 90 and beyond. And some people, if they don't have a lot of savings, they'll burn through that and have nothing left for estate planning. But ultimately for the estate planning side, those that have funds left over or whenever God takes you home, uh, you gotta have some assets left over. What do we do with that? And my job would be to make sure 
uh, that money gets smoothly to the next generation, to the kids, grandkids, charities, whatever they want to do. And also with as little fees as possible. So the recipient gets as much as possible. So it's having enough money to pass on to whatever a, a person wants to their children or to a, a charity or something like that. Yeah. And that's where on the investment side, obviously um, RSPs. And once you turn 71 you, or 72, I guess you can't have one anymore. And you got to convert that to a RIF. If it's a Lira, it gets converted to a LIF. Those all have beneficiary designation on it. And uh, your TFSAs, of course, also have beneficiary designation. So those can be set up from whatever age to transfer smoothly. Doesn't mean it's not part of the estate. But anyway, those have beneficiary designation. You can declare whatever age you are and make changes if you want. Who do I want this money to go to when I die? But uh, things like non-registered investments, which by the way, if anyone has got a little bit of wealth to their name, they're going to have non-registered investments. And the reason for that is RSPs have a limit. You can only put so much in. TFSAs have a limit. You can only put so much in. But if you have a million dollars, you can only max those things out. And then what do you do with the rest? It has to go into a non-registered account. So any bank account even is considered non-registered. Those cannot have beneficiary designation. I should say they normally don't. There is a way to do it. But uh, anyway, that's where now the lawyer comes involved and the will comes involved. What do you want with this? What do you want with your house? Uh, these are things we can't protect from as a financial advisor. You've got to do that from your end. Is there, is there a certain amount of money you think uh, a person needs before they can seek out your, uh, your expert advice? <laughs> uh, in our case, we have no minimums. Uh, we'll work with anybody and help even young couples as they prepare to buy homes and people that are getting out of debt and have nothing to invest. We'll spend time with anyone and give them value. Uh, so no, there's no minimum or need, amount needed to meet with me. That's actually a really good policy, I think, for a lot of people because, you know, we always hear you know, the earlier you start, the, the better it's going to be later. But, you know, a person that doesn't have a lot of money saved up yet, uh, it's good to know that there's places they can go and actually get some advice. So, no, I appreciate that comment, Rocky. So I guess uh, I, I do want to get into markets a little bit as I'm, we're sitting here recording this. Uh, inflation is soaring and uh, Bank of Canada just keeps uh, increasing uh, interest rates. Um, man, it just seems like a, a double whammy. We've got on the one hand, our money is being devalued and it seems like interest rates are slowing the economy and investments are slowing down. I don't know, Rocky, do, uh, do, do we just put our money in in our mattress now or, or uh, you know what can we do if we have money and if you put it in, a, in in your mattress if inflation's running at seven percent the next year's gonna be worth less so i mean what, what is what are you supposed to do well, that's a leading leading question for a financial advisor to answer of course uh, you want to invest that money in my opinion but uh, i guess you have to think about inflation first of all and um, obviously this has been a weird year as far as um, stock markets and investments uh, things in losing value because of inflation. I guess the fear out there is that even though you own great companies like Microsoft or Walmart or Costco or Apple or Google, these great big companies, they're worth less today uh, just because the world is saying, hey, there's inflation. They're going to have more costs to their stuff they're making or doing. And uh, that means they're going to make less profit. So the company must be worth less. Um, I think well, I'm hearing from the professionals anyway that uh, inflation seems to have possibly have peaked already. Uh, hopefully that is true. And on its way down, in fact, I'm hearing by 
2023 into 2024, they're expecting inflation numbers to be back down in the threes. Uh, if these economists are correct, nobody knows the future, of course. But it could be that uh, we're near the high or at the high or have already surpassed the high of inflation. It's a little bit different world than it was in the 70s is what I'm being told. Uh, but as far as what to do with money, uh, well, you got to think about this. If inflation's running at currently, let's say six, seven, eight percent, uh, you got to be getting better than that to beat inflation. Where can you get better than six, seven, eight percent sort of thing? You can't get it in a bank. You can't get it on your mattress. You can't get it in GICs where you lock your money up. Although uh, GICs today, uh, not that we recommend locking people's money up. We don't. We always want your money liquid and available to you. But they're offering in the four to five range now. So that's way different from couple of years ago when they were in the two, two to three range for locking up your money for five years. So some people are falling for that. But once again, the banks will always give you less than inflation it will give you, right? So in order to be getting that six, seven, eight and beyond, you've got to be in professional investments, in my opinion, stocks, if you need to, if you want to take the risks of stocks. Are, are the professional advisors that uh, you refer to able to beat inflation? It just seems, it's when I read things, it's all doom and gloom right now. And uh, I'd understand what you're saying. Hey, let, go ahead and buy some stocks because the companies are valued less than they were and they'll probably come back. But uh, things still seem to be going down, don't they? Well, I guess uh, we could look at the last two months, for example, where since the middle of June, that so far the bottom of 2022, we're talking short-term timelines now here, but uh, in the last two months, markets have gone the other direction, positive, and actually quite remarkably so, but the last you know, week or so, they've dropped back again. But when you're talking about short-term volatility, that's the trade-off, I guess, to getting the higher rates of return. you got to be willing to put up with that volatility. But if you think about it, you go, okay, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, do I think Apple's still going to be selling iPhones? Do I think Costco's still going to be selling stuff and have lineups? Is Walmart still going to be profitable? The answer is they're still going to be profitable this year too, just maybe not as much profit. But meanwhile, their stocks get punished and get sold off by 20 25%. You're right. It's a good time to buy if you've got a longer-term time horizon. If you have a short time horizon, hey, I need my money in a year, hmm, probably these type of investments wouldn't be right for you. Maybe you should be going to a bank or a one-year GIC. Yeah, I, I feel really badly for people that might need their money, you know, that have put things away and that are want to retire and want to live off that money. I guess there'd be a completely different strategy rather than putting in into Walmarts and companies that we expect to get to become more valuable down the road. Yeah, and I guess uh, there's a side to that too, that probably you still want that growth component. So for example, someone retires with, I don't know, 400,000, 600,000, a million dollars. You don't, even though you're going to be living off that money and, and needing it and you don't have a new paycheck anymore, let's just use 500,000, for example, you wouldn't just put the whole thing under your mattress and slowly spend it. You wouldn't put the whole thing in a GIC and slowly spend it. You might want to say, well, let's keep out 100 grand in to cash or something very low volatile and live off that for the next couple of years. Meanwhile, we got 400 more we could invest and try to grow. So just because you're retiring tomorrow doesn't mean your timeline is short. You might have 30 years on this earth and live until 85 to do wise things with your money. So probably it's a little bit of both, right? No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Boy, I sure hope I can get to 85. 
can you tell us some of the strategies that you might put into place when, when you're dealing with uh, an estate plan for, for people? Yeah. So as mentioned before, obviously some products have beneficiaries and then that's kind of already set up. And the beneficiary designation can be quite strong. In fact, I heard a story just this week about um, somebody who had forgot to change the beneficiary on their group RSP. Oftentimes when we start a new employer and we're a young person, we're not married yet. And in this case of this story, someone uh, put their mom down or their dad down. That's pretty typical for a young 20-year-old getting their first job. And over the time, obviously got married and grew up and had a family, but forgot to change the beneficiary designation. And uh, it'd be interesting to know from the legal side where you guys would stand on this, but the story goes that uh, the individual eventually passed away in their late 40s, early 50s. And uh, the spouse and family um, learned that all the money was sent to the mother-in-law, which was his mom, because back in the day, he had put his mom down as beneficiary. And I thought that uh, this was, I think, a case in Nova Scotia, but I thought, you know, the strength of a spousal relationship would be strong enough to, you know, override that. But the answer was in the court system, no, the mother-in-law got all the money and the family got left behind. And so uh, anyway, that's just a reminder of the strength of a beneficiary designation and how uh, make, make sure you <laughs> you can change it always, but make sure you're up to date. This is something I, I actually do know, uh, so maybe I can contribute a little bit here, is when we're talking about estates, uh, you're just talking about the assets that actually come into the estate. So uh, thing after the person dies, and many things don't. So when you're talking about beneficiaries, you're talking about products that uh, go directly uh, on the, the death of a person to the beneficiary without coming into the estate. And so that that would be part of the plan, I, I take it, is uh, some of the things going directly passing outside of the estate. So I think that that's what you're talking about when you're talking about beneficiaries. Very good. Remind me to come back to trusts for a second, but going back to the strength of a beneficiary designation, as mentioned before, one of the problems is anyone with wealth can only put so much into those products that have beneficiaries and the rest of your money is all in non-registered investments, whether it's in stocks or, or mutual funds or bank GICs, wherever your money is, most of the money, the bulk of the money of anyone with some wealth is, is non-registered, which does not have a beneficiary. But to add your question, one of the tricks or tips from a financial advisor point of view, anyone that has an insurance license can access insurance investments. And there is a way to put beneficiary designation on non-registered money, including millions of dollars for that matter. Uh, if you think about it, life insurance companies uh, sell life insurance, of course, and life insurance bypasses everything. It's a private contract. Uh, that money flows tax-free to the next generation, doesn't go through the estate. Uh, people don't even know about it. You might have four kids, and if you have a life insurance policy that uh, you said, I like one of my kids best. <laughs> you can give all the money to them or give all the money to a charity and your kids go, hey, mom and dad had money, but where is it? And they wouldn't know where it went because it's a private contract you set up with the insurance company when you set up that life insurance policy for when you die. Now, life insurance companies have insurance investments as well. In fact, uh, talk about mutual funds. Basically, the life insurance companies have their own mutual fund version or they even sell the mutual funds of other companies and they label them as segregated funds. And when you have a non-registered account, let's say with a million dollars in it, uh, and your TFSA and RSP is full and you've got no place to put a beneficiary designation, if you buy an insurance product, segregated fund, you're basically in the same investments and can get near the same performance, but you now have 
an insurance product which has a beneficiary. So for a segregated fund, non-registered account, you can say, here's what I want with my money. Here's my beneficiaries. And when you die, that will be treated like a life insurance policy where that money goes to those beneficiaries. Now it bypasses the courts, bypasses probate. There's no legal fees. Uh, trustee, or excuse me, the executor doesn't even have to be involved. It's not seen. It's private contract. It's hidden. And uh, it's pretty cool that that money can, can transfer in such a way so you can avoid all those estate fees, I guess, at the end. And it also bypasses probate. You told me to remind you about trusts. Okay, so uh, again, not that I know how it all works on the legal side, but my understanding is that trusts are quite complex and can be anyway. Tell me if I'm right and if you're aware, but I'm told trusts have a shelf life of 21 years uh, after the person dies and then they have to be shut down and the whole trust has to be sold, which is a taxable event at that time. Trusts have ongoing, legal trusts have ongoing fees. I don't know what the difference of a legal trust or a testamentary trust I'm talking beyond what I know, but I'm what I'm told from the legal side anyway, or taught. And uh, that ongoing trustee fees happen every year and there's costs involved to set them up and to maintain them. So on the insurance side, again, you might have, let's go back to this segregated fund product, for your non-registered money and you've got a million dollars and four kids to give it to you. Now you've got the beneficiary designation on your non-registered money, which is great. You can transfer smoothly to the kids. They tell me that the average estate time to transfer is 14 to 18 months in BC for the average state to be you know, finalized up. In this case of these investments in non-registered, they usually transfer within a month or two of receiving a death certificate. So very smooth to the next generation. But the point is you got these four kids and each is supposed to get even because you love all your kids the same. They all should get a quarter million. But one of your kids might have a drug addiction or might be terrible with money and they're just a spendthrift or maybe they have a gambling habit. And you know, if that kid got the 250, that money would be gone in a few months and they'd have nothing left. They're not good with their money. The other three, I'm okay with giving them to giving them a chunk of money. But for my one kid, I don't want to do that. So what's my options to set up a legal trust, goes to a trustee somewhere, he slowly feeds the money to my kids. But don't forget that insurance companies also have other products and one of them being annuities. So you can uh, set up what's called an annuity settlement option for that fourth child. That can be your beneficiary instructions. Give three of my kids 25% each in a lump and the fourth kid set them up with an annuity that's going to be payable to him over 10 years. And then he'll slowly get a paycheck. His brother and sister's got a check in the mail, but he gets his consistent steady income for 10 years. You don't have to have anyone administer it. The insurance company does that all for you. It's all done for free and no cost. And it can be quite, quite cool. You can actually defer that payment up to 15 years. So if you have a young child, uh, they're all your kids are young and you go, I don't want them to have this money or they're only 20 years old. They're not going to be responsible even with a big paycheck for the next 10 years. I want them to defer this payment to happen. You've already been dead for 15 years, but that's when the monthly payments can begin. And you can set up a life annuity or a deferred annuity, or term certain annuity or whatever, different options again on the investment side. Wow. Okay. So, so I think there's a, what you're telling me here is there's a, a lot you can do. 
you know, I think I guess the takeaways here are that, um, you know, I, I really appreciate when you said that uh, you'd, you'd help people out, you know, even uh, if they're just starting out or something like that. It's so important to know somebody that you can access, you know, to get some, some professional advice. It does certainly sound like there's a lot of uh, different strategies uh, to deal with your estate plan, which we it sounds like is a lot more than just uh, what's in your estate when you die. And if you got money, um, hey, it may be a good time to invest. Rocky, thank you very much for uh, showing up. Rocky is, again, is a uh, financial advisor at DeThomas Wealth Management. Thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, Clay. Thanks for having me. FHMP lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help. Send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com.